Porsche is one of the most revered names in cars. Ask a car enthusiast to name the brands that best exemplify excellence in engineering, racing, and design, and Porsche will be one of the names that comes up. It has a racing heritage that can't be argued with. It has made at least one of the most iconic sports cars of all time, the 911, and it has a large following of deeply devoted fans. Born, like many German automakers, out of a deeply dark history, Porsche has become a name respected the world over. Porsche vehicles are one of those examples where the precision, uh, the craftsmanship that goes into these vehicles, and then how it's reflected in their performance and what they're capable of doing both at, at uh, race levels as well as on the street, perfectly embodies that kind of stereotypical German engineering. But it is also a changing company. The once independent firm devoted entirely to sports cars has become a brand within the massive Volkswagen Group, a company with which Porsche has a long history. And it is viewed as a kind of jewel in that portfolio. Volkswagen has other luxury brands that range from the high-end to the exotic, but Porsche is responsible for about 25% of VW's passenger car profits. And while its fans may first think of sports cars, what really sell today are its sport utility vehicles. This comes at Porsche is at another potentially pivotal juncture. Electric vehicles are coming, and this time, the usually innovative and groundbreaking Porsche is playing catch-up. The automaker declined a request to be interviewed for this story. Porsche has heritage, loyalty, and a long track record of innovation, competitive success on its side. But it has built its heritage and its cars around gasoline-burning engines. How can it continue to succeed and set sports car standards in the electric age? The story of Porsche begins with Ferdinand Porsche. He was an engineer born in 1875 in Bohemia, a region of what was then Austria-Hungary and today is part of the Czech Republic. Ferdinand Porsche secured his place in history when he became the designer of a people's car, or Volkswagen, for Adolf Hitler. The car he designed was called the Type 1, but is widely known as the Beetle. The actual Porsche brand didn't form until 1948. Ferdinand Porsche founded the company with his son, also named Ferdinand, but nicknamed Ferry. The first production car they designed was called the 356. It had an engine borrowed from a Beetle and tuned for better performance. The vehicle had one of the features that Porsche became famous for, an engine placed in the rear of the car. In the 1950s, Porsche began making its own engines and improved the 356. It also made the 550 Spider, a road racing car nicknamed the Giant Killer for outperforming larger rivals, and the Speedster, a stripped-down version of the 356. In 1958, the company built its 10,000th 356. Then, in 1964, the 911. The impression the 911 made on the automotive world is tough to overstate. It is one of the most iconic sports cars of all time. In keeping with Porsche's tradition, the 911 had an air-cooled rear-engined design. It didn't have the biggest engine, but was small, light, and nimble. Its starting price was $5,500, today a mere $46,363, a fraction of the roughly $100,000 starting price of today's 911s. 
Though Porsches were long known for their rear-engined cars, the company made front-engine vehicles starting in the 1970s. Porsche continued to make front-engine cars until the 1990s, when it finally stopped producing them in order to focus on the 911 and the Boxster. In 1986, Porsche's global sales topped out at about 50,000 units. Sales in the US and Canada, which together were then Porsche's largest market, had reached 30,471, but they drastically fell to about 14,000 globally in 1993 and just 3,713 in the US and Canada. By the early 1990s, Porsche was in trouble. The company turned to a group of ex-Toyota workers who had formed a consultancy to carry Toyota's legendary manufacturing principles and techniques to other companies. Toyota's production system famously relies on reducing waste. Needed parts are kept near workers, and things are only sourced or made as they are needed. The Toyota engineers helped the German company slim down its factory operations. The result was a car that was all Porsche, but significantly more affordable because of a factory capable of higher volume production. Sales at Porsche began to climb again. U.S. and Canadian combined sales were 5,820 in 1994, 6,078 in 1995, and 7,524 in 1996. By 2000, Porsche was selling 22,412 cars in the U.S. alone. And a couple of years later, Porsche would reveal a vehicle that would rock the automotive world. The Porsche Cayenne. The Porsche Cayenne was a sport utility vehicle, and Porsche was a sports car company. The brand had only made small, road-going race cars. As might be expected, purists balked. The common arguments were that Porsche was diluting its identity and perhaps even selling out. In the American auto market, SUVs had gone from being purpose-built vehicles for off-roading and the great outdoors to bulkier successors of the family station wagon and minivan. Initially, the move to, to SUVs was, uh, was hotly debated. You know, Porsche has a legacy of motorsports. It's very much in its heritage. And, and certainly in the early 2000s, when you think SUV, you don't necessarily think motorsports. Uh, and the fear was that, you know, since they share a lot of components with VW and Audi specifically, that a Porsche SUV would just be an Audi with a Porsche logo on it. But that's not what happened. Uh, Porsche very smartly decided to build SUVs that were more Porsche and less, perhaps, Audi. Over time, the skepticism waned. Though the Cayenne was an SUV, it was a pretty high-performing one. I think it took the traditional Porsche enthusiast by shock. What are you saying? Now we're going to build a four-door SUV? They designed it, they put it through rigorous tests, and I drive a Cayenne as well. And I will tell you, it is the sportiest SUV. If you take a two-door versus a Cayenne of the same year, yes, it's not gonna be a 911 but I can tell you it's gonna be the quote-unquote 911 of its segment. In 2006, a Porsche Cayenne placed first in the Trans-Siberia Rally. It's a long, grueling race that starts in Moscow, Russia, and ends in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. The following year, Porsche Cayenne S vehicles placed first, second, and third in the race. In 2008, Cayenne S's took the top six positions in the race. Porsche was able to prove that Cayenne was not just a luxury SUV with a Porsche badge, it could actually perform in challenging conditions. 
The Cayenne and its smaller sibling, the Macan, sold well, and SUVs in 2020 made up more than 60% of Porsche's sales. In 2020, the brand sold 57,294 units in the U.S. alone, almost double the high of around 30,000 Porsche saw in the 1980s, when it was still a pure sports car company. Early 1990s, they sold about 15,000 cars. You know, their legacy is the 911 uh, sports cars that's been built off of the Beetle to begin with. But then in the early 2000s, Porsche found an interesting strategy of diversifying its customer demographic, uh, namely acquiring more female customers and penetrating China, probably the most important auto market in the world with SUVs. And today SUVs are about 70% of all the vehicles Porsche sells. So it's gone from about 15,000 units in the early 1990s. Today, about 300,000 units and SUVs are 70% of those. Automotive industry analysts say SUVs have not diluted the brand's identity. 911 sports cars seem to have only grown more expensive in recent years. They now start above $100,000. The 911s and the other uh, cars that Porsche sold have actually maintained their price pretty well. And the reason why is the SUV customer is a very different person that's buying the 911. This ability to weather challenges and overcome skeptics owes something to the legions of Porsche fans around the world. Many brands have their enthusiasts, but Porsche inspires a kind of loyalty and devotion that stands apart. I was one of those Porsche people that was like, okay, these are not just incredible cars, but they're incredible everything. You know, they're just incredible on so many levels. This can be a fascination that begins in early childhood and continues all through life. And so the aspirational car was always to someday have a Porsche. And I set that goal as a kid, as a four-year-old on every Christmas, every birthday. It was like, by the time I'm, let's say I'm 30, by the time I'm 30, I'm gonna have a Porsche. Like that was the goal, that was the aspiration. And fortunately enough, you know, at, at the age of 28, I was able to make that happen with my 1987 911. One manifestation of this might be the Porsche Club of America, a club for Porsche owners that says it is the largest single mark car club in the United States with 140,000 members. The Porsche Club of America started in 1955 with 12 individuals that were just trying to figure out their way of how to maintain these cars that weren't, there weren't many on the road. There wasn't a large dealer network. Porsche also gets high marks for reliability, customer satisfaction, and overall quality. Consumer Reports named Porsche its top brand in 2020. Porsche also scores highly on J.D. Power's vehicle dependability surveys. Most recently, the study named the 911 the most dependable vehicle. For the price that you have to pay for a lot of these high-performance, specialized, low-production vehicles, you should be able to, at the very least, expect average or better quality and reliability. But you don't get that with a lot of brands. Porsche, you do. They have got a history of making cars that just keep going and going. These vehicles hold their value remarkably well. I've never bought my Porsches for investment purposes. That's never, that's never the point to own a Porsche. But it is nice to know that many, many Porsches, um, after a decade of ownership, the amount of value it retains, and in some cases, their GT cars, we have owners that have bought their car driven it for two years and dealers right now are calling out and say can we buy the car back and we'll give you the money that you paid for it so essentially they've owned that car for free for two years that is unbelievable 
The Porsche brand is thought to be so strong, there are questions among investors over whether its place in the Volkswagen Group portfolio allows the brand to fully unlock its value. Some people have even contended that Porsche could be worth all of VW. And the reason is they're looking at Porsche and they're saying, this is kind of like a luxury company, like Hermes or LVMH or Rolex. And they ascribe that type of valuation to Porsche and come up with a really high valuation. The automotive market is crowded, even at the higher end. While Porsche was an early entrant into the luxury and high-performance SUV segments, many others have followed. One reason that this doesn't worry some analysts is that many of those new entrants are priced just a bit higher than Porsche's offerings. In terms of both price and reputation, Porsche seems to occupy a relatively underpopulated niche between big and accessible luxury brands like Mercedes-Benz and BMW and the very high-end brands like Ferrari, Lamborghini, and Aston Martin. Even the base 911s, which are by no means cheap, seem to exemplify this. They perform like supercars and reliable daily drivers at the same time. A new kind of vehicle that first found a true home at the high end of the market is the EV, and Porsche has taken notice. The brand released its electric Taycan in 2019. The Taycan is already selling about as well as the 911. Porsche's production numbers are a decent proxy for sales, and Porsche produced about 29,450 Taycans in 2020, compared with 28,672 911s. Porsche wants to bring electrification to other models. On its way is the electric version of the Porsche Macan, Porsche's biggest seller worldwide in 2019 and second biggest in 2020. As of June 2021, Porsche planned for half of the vehicles it sells to be electric or hybrid by 2025. But Porsche says it cannot and does not want to fully electrify every vehicle. Some cars have been designed around internal combustion engines, and changing that would compromise their character. This especially includes the 911. Porsche has spent decades refining the 911 to perform around its rear-mounted internal combustion engine, and placement of the engine and powertrain are part of what gives the 911 its unique driving experience. Porsche says the answer to this problem is something called e-fuel. E-fuels are made through a complex process. Carbon dioxide is pulled from the atmosphere and mixed with hydrogen and water to make something chemically resembling methanol. That methanol is then converted into gasoline. So when the fuel burns, it does release carbon into the atmosphere, but it is the same carbon that was pulled from the atmosphere to make the fuel in the first place. Thus, Porsche says, the fuel is carbon neutral and doesn't contribute to global warming. E-fuel requires no engine modifications to work. Porsche has already tested the fuel in racing conditions. In 2020, it formed a partnership with Siemens Energy and several other energy companies to build the world's first industrial-scale factory for making e-fuels in Chile. The project called for an initial investment of 20 million euros, or about 24 million dollars, and uses technology developed by ExxonMobil. Using wind power, to create synthetic petrol. And effectively, they can maintain their ICE engines and still be carbon neutral. You know, VW Group uh, plans on being 50% of all of its sales by 2030 to be full electric. We think certainly Porsche will likely exceed that amount. So it'll probably be by 2030, a combination of full electric and to some extent e-fuels powering some of its sports cars like the 911. 
moves like these are in keeping with the carbon-conscious strategy pushed by Porsche's parent, Volkswagen Group. The massive German automaker, which has a neck-and-neck -neck rivalry with Toyota for the title of world's top-selling car company, is making a big push toward electric vehicle technology and other carbon reduction measures. The ambitious pivot comes only a few years after VW Group and other automakers were exposed for cheating on diesel emissions tests. The bold electrification plans carmakers are committing to have garnered some skepticism from those in the auto industry who say consumers are still wary of EV ranges and times. But some also say that if a car company can make a big EV push work, it is a company like VW Group, which sells a lot of cars all over the world. And similarly, the Porsche name might be one that can sell EVs as high-performance cars. No doubt newcomers like Tesla might have some things to say about that.